Good afternoon to you. How are you? It's Monday the 17th of January 2022. It's myself, the BBG, the first programme of the week. You are, uh, well, you're welcome to it. You're welcome also to drop me a message through my website. It's richieallen.co.uk. The best way to reach me. You can use the contact form as well if you like. I've got two excellent guests for you to kick off the week. So uh, without further apu. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, Mike is an ambulance driver and got in touch with me over the weekend. He's worked in pre-hospital emergency care in the Northwest and the surrounding hospitals. He was listening with interest to Damien last week and he asked, could he come on to chat? I said that anyone working in the NHS, anyone in patient-facing roles, facing losing their jobs would be welcome on the programme. Mike is welcome. He joins me in the second hour. Before that, though, Paul Craig Roberts, my great friend, and colleague is back on the programme, the former US Assistant Secretary of the Treasury. He's an economist and author as well. He's been writing quite a bit of late about Ukraine and Russia. Troops massed on the border. Is a Russian invasion of Ukraine imminent? Is it? Russia says we will no longer tolerate NATO's eastward expansion and NATO's invasion of Ukraine. The US and Other NATO allies are swearing that they will sanction Russia back to the Stone Age. This is interesting. We'll talk about that with Paul Craig Roberts this hour and more than just that with him. It's uh, Monday's Richie Allen Show. We had a lovely kind of Luke. Do you know that milky, watery winter sun today? It was nice today. Nice, sharp, nice, sharp, cold, but uh, nice and dry. I hope your day has gone well thus far. And uh, you're in the mood for a couple of hours of, well, alternative analysis of the big stories of the day. It's Martin Luther King Jr. Day today. You probably know that. His birthday, the great man was born on the 15th of January, but they celebrate the his birthday on the third Monday of January. So whichever date that falls on. And President Ronald Reagan, colleague of Paul Craig Roberts, of course, signed the holiday. His boss, he was Paul's boss, signed the holiday into law in 1983. There's a little fun fact. Did I have to look that up? I did, as it happened. I couldn't think of who signed Martin Luther King Jr. Day into law. I couldn't think of it. I thought maybe, maybe it was babe. No, maybe it was Grandad Bush or Father Bush. But no, it was actually Ronald Reagan. My friend Peter Ebden was at Alexander Palace over the last few days working with some snooker stars on their preparation, their match preparation, their concentration, of course, and their mental strength. No better man than our Peter to uh, be imparting knowledge on those aspects of the game. Top man. 
I spoke with him for a bit this morning and he was in great form. He said he had to take a lateral flow test in order to be able to access the venue and to uh, work with the players in question to get in. And uh, he sent me the insert or the notes that come with these medical products. Like any other medical product, you open the box and there's a little list, there's a note in there about what it is and what's in it and what it does. Now, the product Peter used was is called FlowFlex, and it's made by Acon Biotech in China, no less. Where would you expect it to be made, says you? And um, there's some interesting things on the notes, which Peter found, well, amusing and interesting, and I have to say so do I. Here's a couple of little, little bullet points on these notes, right, on this lateral flow test. Here's one. A positive test doesn't rule out co-infection with other pathogens. So you might get a positive test, but it doesn't rule out the fact you might be infected with something else <sighs> alongside uh, COVID, but, but even exclusively. Uh, maybe it wouldn't be COVID. Maybe it's not COVID. Here's another one. A positive test doesn't differentiate between SARS-CoV and SARS-CoV-2 doesn't differentiate. This will amuse people who remember the Queen legend Brian May a few weeks back saying that he asked his doctor how the tests can differentiate between Delta and Omicron and Kent and all of that sort of stuff, right? Right? Okay. So this thing about positive tests doesn't differentiate between SARS-CoV and SARS-CoV-2. This is doubled down later on in the, in the, in the instructions, in the notes with the lateral flow test. Here's another bit. Positive results do not rule out bacterial infection or co-infection with other pathogens. So you get a positive result, but it doesn't mean that what you actually have, it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean, uh, that you have SARS-CoV-2. It might mean that you actually have some sort of bacterial infection of sorts. Or, again, co-infection with other pathogens. And then it goes on to say in the notes, the agent detected may not be the exact cause of the disease. <laughs> and then, hilariously enough, it goes on to describe the symptoms of COVID that should encourage you to take one of these tests. And they say the main symptoms are fever, fatigue, dry cough, nasal congestion, runny nose, sore throat, and then myalgia and diarrhoea are found in a few cases. Nasal congestion, runny nose, sore throat, dry cough, fatigue, fever. Wow. <laughs> Not specific then, eh? Uh, product name is FlowFlex and it's made by a Acon Biotech in China. It sounds like monumental bollocks to me. But there you are. These are the tests that people are taking. Keep this in mind because uh, new rules on isolation came into effect today in England. That's new isolation rules if you tested positive for coronavirus. This is tragic. Listen to Jane Secker on Sky News this afternoon with the with all the details. Now from today, people who test positive for COVID in England will only need to isolate for five full days as long as they test negative on days five and six. But some experts believe the move is risky and not based on the science. Sky's Laura Bundock has this report. 
Stuck indoors, nine-year-old Eloise has been isolating since Thursday, off school and back home learning. Nine-year-old Eloise, off school since Thursday and isolating. Uh, there is nothing wrong with nine-year-old Eloise. Nothing. Not a thing. A point which is made later on in the report. The changes to the rules mean she could soon be out. She, she could soon be out. Just really excited to go back to school if I can. And on Tuesday, if I get a negative result, I'm meant to be going back to school, which I really, really want a negative result, but might not happen. So it's dreadful, isn't it? There's the kid bored out of her mind at home, uh, tested positive for coronavirus. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the child. And a child, God love her, is looking forward to Tuesday when she gets the chance to take another test. But she's nervous about it knowing that if she tests positive again, it's more isolation. This is, this is really going on, you know. This is not parody, I keep telling myself. I'm not telling you, it's mad stuff, this. I'm meant to be going back to school, which I really, really want a negative result, but might not happen, so... But might you're not hopeful. Happen. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with the kid. The parents also hopeful. They're both teachers and juggling taking time off. We've had to look at our timetables at school and make a decision about who's got the lighter timetable that day or, you know, I'm lucky I've got a department that can cover for me and we've got very few members of staff away from school at the moment, but it's not always the case. It certainly wasn't the case at this pub in Bristol. Isolating staff meant they had to close for Christmas and New Year. We lost hundreds of bookings, hundreds of people, thousands of pounds, you know, you see all, we had our Christmas quiz booked in and also a wedding. We had a wedding booked in on the 29th. So we had to let them down. So, yeah, it wasn't great. And it was over the key two weeks that you want to be open at Christmas. And again, they go on to make the point that there's nothing wrong with the staff who are isolating. They've just taken these tests at home and it's caused chaos for the business, lost bookings, lost revenue, bills piling up, and it's a tale being told all over the country. It's insane, isn't it? It's ten minutes past the hour. Monday's programme. So Novak Djokovic, the world number one tennis player, flew to Dubai and then flew home to Serbia. He's back home now after being kicked out of Australia and told that he will not be allowed to defend the Australian Open title. Uh, no 21st Grand Slam for Novak Djokovic. Why? Well, because he isn't jabbed, although that's being a bit simplistic. They are claiming it's because he told lies back in December when he tested positive and he didn't isolate and then he said he hadn't travelled anywhere and then it was discovered he travelled to Spain. So it's a bit more complicated but ultimately it's about the fact that he hasn't had a jab. There is a good summing up, I think, of that situation by Ian Collins, a presenter with Talk Radio. I happened to catch this this afternoon. What happened in Oz yesterday was one of the most disturbing aspects that I think I've seen in the last two years and there's a big old list there. Watching... His plane takeoff yesterday was one of the most troubling and unsettling sights. I know it doesn't sound like the biggest headline, but there was something profound and disconcerting about all of the optics and the imagery here. Watching a man leave his hotel, head for Melbourne Airport, seeing those images of him being ferried to the terminal, stepping onto an aeroplane and then that aeroplane taking off. That was haunting for me. There was something about just the clinical nature of all of this that was discomforting. One of the fittest men on the planet, a top athlete, law-abiding citizen, deported like a serial killer or a rapist because he didn't have a vaccination. 
A man who doesn't have COVID kicked out of the land down under for having the temerity to take charge of his own body. If you're not disturbed by that scenario, there is something wrong with you. Even if you are a vaccination evangelist, surely that was the point that you would realise something is very wrong. Something has gone wrong with the way laws are made. There's a dirty big flaw in the rule book. Surely you would have to come up with that conclusion regardless that having this one-size-fits-all law falls at the first hurdle when you look at a case such as this. Again, this probably doesn't compare in some respects to the many other overreactions, but there's something striking about this. Go home, you filthy, unvaxxed Serb. Chocked the Aussie government. You ain't welcome round here. That's disturbing, right? At any level, whoever you are, whatever your take, whatever your position, that is disturbing. A perfectly fit man without COVID has been sent on an aeroplane home, deported from a country which, in theory, he can't revisit for another three years. In theory, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Now, the UK Culture Secretary is a woman called Nadine or Nadine Dorries, and... She's after the BBC, allegedly. She's after the BBC licence fee and wants to phase it out, saying that it was time to discuss new ways to fund and sell great British content, right? She said the days of the elderly being... This is a direct quote, by the way. She said the days of the elderly being threatened with prison sentences and bailiffs knocking on doors, end quote, were over. Okay, Now, it's not been confirmed, but the government is expected to announce a freeze on the licence fee for two years. Apparently, it's currently £159 for a a television licence. Now, the BBC were asked for a comment on it, and the BBC, through a spokesperson, said, well, there has been similar speculation before. Now, the existence of the fee, of the licence fee, is guaranteed until New Year's Eve 2027, by the BBC's Royal Charter. But if you believe the Conservatives, they want to go after it and ultimately remove it, right? What does it pay for? Well, it pays for, allegedly, BBC shows and services, including television, radio, its website, podcasts, iPlayer and apps, like apps, like phone apps and stuff. Yes, you heard radio in there. Now, I've never had a television licence, and I never will. I never had one in Ireland. I've never had one here. And I'm going to play you a little bit of audio that kind of sums up why I would never pay the BBC for anything. So Friday Friday morning last, Novak Djokovic hadn't yet been kicked out of Australia. Now, Nicky Campbell on BBC Radio 5 Live had callers on giving their tuppence worth as to what should happen to Novak. Again, this is before he was booted out. Now, in a minute, you'll hear Tanya... But before that, here's a flavour of what people were saying. It was all anti-Novak stuff. Get him out of the country and all the rest of it. Whatever his personal views are is his personal views. But the simple fact is, he got caught lying. Simple as. And now he's got to go. And the fact that he's number one and he can't come back in three years, hey-ho, so what? Now, if it had been me who'd gone to Australia, 
and I made one thing on my visa application, I wouldn't have had that three days with all the press around me. I would have put on a plane the same day and sent home. You say you lied. Let's so let's chuck this to Tanya. Let's chuck this to Tanya. Strong words there exactly. from Steve in Surrey. Tanya, pick so up on this. Lie, Hang on, Steve. You, you've made, you made your point really well, really strong. Tanya, respond to it. <laughs> Well, I think we should start looking back at how the Australian government has treated its own people. I understand fully that they are furious, but they should be furious with their own government. Incarcerating no, your own people... because your man lied. Putting them you inside... Man, you man, you man made up a, making made up a sure that they cannot to even visit Australia, the park. And you got caught out, I'm afraid. And I'm afraid because of a virus is never right. So he gets on a plane, he goes back to And we to need Serbia. to look at... Wait a, minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He took his time there, didn't he? Wait a minute, wait a minute. A couple of things. You mentioned uh, the three particular individuals. Of course, uh, you mentioned a member of the royal family. I infer you meant Prince Andrew. He denies all the allegations. That's what I've got to say. Uh, Tanya, I want to hear what you've got to say. Thank you. Yes, I could hardly hear myself. <laughs> it's all right. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to police it a bit more efficiently now. On yeah, he's going to police it a bit more efficiently. So she said the Australian people ought to be or might be more annoyed with their government for the restrictions imposed on people in the last two years rather than be peeved with Djokovic. Then she goes on to say, "You go. You have the platform." Thank you. I think we need to be looking back at how people have been treated in general for the last few years. No wonder people are angry because they're being pitched against each other. In Australia, people have been incarcerated in their own homes. They have not been even able to visit a park. No wonder there is extreme anger. But this anger is misdirected. We should look at these rules which are draconian and which have actually made people suffer so enormously. People not even being able to visit their loved ones, dying alone. This is inhumane, and this is what well, we need to look at. That's and maybe... when it comes to Djokovic, mm. I think people have the right to decide over their own bodies. But the rules so are the rules. What happened to my body, my choice? What happened to the fact that this that... vaccine is actually still in an experimental phase? That's a separate phase? issue. This is... Still in an experimental phase, she said. This is a separate issue. This We've is debated. not a separate it, issue. It is. It's, it, OK, let's get on. John. Djokovic dares... He tries to get rid of her, and he says, let's get John on. Stand up for his... But she's um, not going to be cowed by Nicky Campbell and carries on. Stand up for his own rights. Yeah, but it's and the we rules. Have we have body. to abide by the rules as Melbournians had to abide by the rules as well. And we also know that these don't even work like they should. So it's just a yeah, total... No, no, let's, 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 she said the vaccines don't even work like they should, which is true. Nobody denies this, and, of course, he has to shut her down. Stand up for his own rights. Yeah, but it's and the we rules. Have we have body. to abide by the rules as Melbournians had to abide by the rules as well. don't even work like they should. Don't even work like they should. So it's just a total... No, 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 let's, let, 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 let's put that, to, put that to one side. Uh, you know, Djokovic himself is a little bit prone to, to hokum. As we know, he has some, some, some weird views. Nice bit of editorialising there from a BBC presenter who's explicitly forbidden to say things like that. That Djokovic has weird views. Djokovic that, has had to play a very, very, yeah, very difficult that aside, game. I don't want to save his career here. I don't want to discuss vaccines because it's nonsense. I don't know if you know. Nonsense is Campbell. It's nonsense to criticise the vaccines. No, but several uh, athletes already <sighs> have had to uh, stop their career. They have their health destroyed because of this so-called vaccine. It is really not a so-called vaccine. Listen, I'm banging my head on... What? My the rule? He's banging his head on the table, Nicky Campbell, because Tanya is dropping truce bombs all over his programme. 
because it's it nonsense. I don't know if you know, but several uh, <laughs> several athletes athletes already <sighs> have had to uh, stop their career. They have their health destroyed because of this so-called vaccine. It is really not the so-called. Va- oh, listen, I'm banging my head on what the rule. Okay, thank you, John Finley. And they got rid of her. He lied. It's nothing to do with the vaccine. <laughs> and they got rid of her. And the the thing about that is beautifully timed, I think. And, and let's hope he'll be okay. But in, in the afternoon, Campbell's own radio station. This is where you couldn't make it up. BBC Radio 5 Live was, was reporting in the afternoon that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who plays for Arsenal, though probably not for much longer, he's in, he's in bad favour with the Arsenal management. But anyway, Pierre is in Africa, playing in the African Nations Cup. He plays for Gabon. And they've scanned him and they found heart lesions. And the BBC reported this in the afternoon, the same day that Nicky Campbell was rushing, giving the bums rush to a caller, getting her off the air after she said, I don't know if you know this, but athletes are coming down with problems after the jabs and some of them have had to retire. We can name them, we know who they are. Sergio Aguero is one of them, one of the most prominent of the players. And you have a player in the African Nations Cup who they found heart lesions. And the heart lesions are obviously connected to the jabbing or the jabbings that the player had. It's 21 minutes past the hour. And that's why I'll never pay for a, for a television license, which is the equivalent of paying for the BBC. Not in a million years. Fat chance of that. Paul Craig Roberts joins me shortly. Later on in the programme, Mike is an ambulance driver in the northwest. You don't want to miss either of them. So stay with me. This is Stevie Wonder, seeing as it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. No better time of the year to play this. It's the Richie Allen Show, live from Salford. My name is Richie Allen. This is the world's most listened to independent news radio show. Thanks for joining me. RichieAllen.co.uk Stevie Wonder and happy birthday on the Richie Allen Show. 26 minutes, well, 26 and a half minutes after 5 o'clock then, to be precise. It's uh, the 17th of January, 2022. Just waiting for Paul Craig Roberts to pop up. He should be with me momentarily. While I'm waiting for him, uh, I'll read some of your comments now. It's a nice opportunity to do that. Do keep them coming in. It's comment live on the menu bar, richieallen.co.uk. Let's have a look. Wayne says everyone has to follow the rules. That was Nicky Campbell's refrain as he was trying to drown out Tanya, the caller on the BBC Radio 5 phone-in programme last Friday. Wayne says the mantra of fascists and despots and their sympathisers the world over throughout history, he says. Throughout history. That's good. Idris says that clip of Campbell talking nonsense alone was enough to send me into a rage on behalf of Novak and people like him. How does anyone listen to stuff like that and stay calm? It's a good question. A complete knob end, says Charlie Burton, referring to Nicky Campbell. Craig says, but they're the rules, cries Campbell. There was a time when journalists were prepared to challenge rules to get to the truth. Campbell is more in common with a tin of vegetable soup than he does a journalist. That's a very good point. Good, good evening, Joan. Good evening, Marcus and Ewan. Lots more comments. I'm going to stop there, though, and give uh, my great friend Paul Craig Roberts a quick ring because he's telling me, is uh, the great man, that he is in the room. He's in the room and he's ready to go. 
Let me uh, tell you this. Uh, you've probably been following this. For some, it's been some sort of welcome relief from uh, COVID news. Now, yesterday, the spokesman for Vladimir Putin, one of his spokesmen, was speaking with CNN, uh, appearing on Farid Zakaria GPS. Uh, Dmitry Peskov, or Peshkov is Putin's spokesman, and he said that um, the, the Russia couldn't any longer, it couldn't tolerate NATO's eastward expansion, expansion and its gradual invasion of Ukraine. That's what the Russians are saying. The military build-up is because we will not tolerate your eastward expansion and the gradual invasion of Ukraine, right? Roughly 100,000 Russian soldiers have amassed near Ukraine. The Western media is saying this shows that Russia is planning on invading its neighbours soon. The Russians are saying we don't have any plans at all to invade Ukraine, but we can't tolerate this constant build-up that's been going on over the years. He even referenced the Peshkov, the, the promises made to Mikhail Gorbachev. You might remember promises made by... By, uh, by 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 George H.W. Bush and, and others. Now, let's welcome to the programme to discuss this and more uh, my friend and your friend. He is a former US Assistant Secretary of the Treasury. He's an economist and author. Let's welcome back to the programme and say Happy New Year to our friend Paul Craig Roberts. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Richie. And thanks for writing about this. Folks, go to paulcraigroberts.org and read. Paul's been writing about this incessantly and he's on top of it. Is there any danger, Paul, that the tension that we are talking about today, that you're writing about, could escalate beyond sanctions and threats to something far more serious? Oh, yes. Uh, there is uh, a very high danger of that, Richie. Uh, the reason being that uh, the United States and Europe uh, and as far as I can tell, the British, uh, they don't hear what the Russians are telling them. Uh, the Russians are saying, look, uh, you're making us feel uh, very threatened. Um, you, you have broken uh, your word and taken NATO to our borders. You've got military bases in Poland and Romania. Uh, and now you are arming uh, Ukraine, your, uh, your military is there training the Ukrainians to use the weapons you're supplying them. Uh, you're talking about putting uh, Ukraine as well as Georgia into NATO. And this is just too many bases on our borders and we simply will not tolerate it, period. And therefore, you've got to do something about this or there will be dire consequences. Now, the reason it's dangerous is that the United States intends to make Russia feel less secure. That's the American purpose. The United States is uh, run its foreign policy by neoconservatives. They're Russophobes. They hate Russia. Uh, they, in, they intend to destabilize Russia or intimidate Russia because Russia is in the way of uh, American hegemony. Uh, the United States intends to um, 
be a unilateral agent who acts as it wants to, and it doesn't accept the Russian constraints. And it's taken the Russians a very, very long time to realize that. When, when was the Ukraine overthrown uh, in the so-called Maiden Revolution by the United States? That was as far back as when was that? Was that 2014? It was 2014, Victoria Newland. Right. Well, so it's, it's, it's yeah. been uh, seven or eight years, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, they've put up with uh, seven or eight years of uh, the Ukrainians attacking the Russian populations in the uh, Donbass region, which did not want to be part of the new uh, neo-Nazi Ukrainian state. Uh, Russia wouldn't uh, take them back into Russia like it did Crimea. And so they've been uh, bombarded and uh, uh, killed uh, now for what, uh, six or seven years. And the Ukrainians are massing an army on that border and it's equipped with American weapons. And so why does it take the Russians so long to respond? Why? That's a really good question because there's been quite a bit of conflict without it getting too out of hand for several years between rebels and that's pro-Russian rebels and the Ukrainian military. It's been squabbly. Yeah, there's been some nasty incidents. People have died, but it hasn't been serious, serious. So why has it taken so long? That's a very good question, Paul. Well, I can't say I know. Um, I think the Russians don't realize, didn't, and maybe still don't realize how they are targeted by Washington. They think they're dealing with a country that is capable of reason uh, and there's just some kind of misunderstanding. And so they've kept trying with diplomacy to overcome misunderstanding. But there's not a misunderstanding. <laughs> Washington overthrew Ukraine for the purpose of putting pressure on uh, Russia. So it could be it's just taken the Russians a long time to realize that uh, it's not their partners, it's their enemy. You know, they keep referring to the United States as our partner and our Western partners. They don't have any partners. They've only got enemies. So it's taken them a long time to comprehend that. It may also be that um, they don't want to spend too much money on the military and they've got all these new weapons but they may be hesitant to put them into mass production because it's expensive and so they're hoping and hoping that they can work something out with the United States so that we will stop making them feel threatened so they don't have to go to the great expense of producing and deploying these weapons. Or it could be they just wanted time to have some of the weapons deployed since they're far outside the range of anything the West has. Uh, in order, if there is a showdown, that they have to use some force that uh, the West uh, would have to think many times before trying to uh, reply on a nuclear level. So it could be all of those things. 
but I do think that finally they have run out of patience. And if you look at uh, what they had to say, the two deputy foreign ministers who were there trying to negotiate, uh, they've said, well, they just don't listen to us. They didn't hear a word we tell them. And so we're there. They, they're waiting on some re written reply they're supposed to get this week. I don't know why they expect the written reply to be any different from the verbal one. Maybe they think if the Americans have had time to think about the seriousness of it for a week or so, they'll uh, come to some kind of terms. But so far, uh, they haven't. And uh, what uh, I'm fairly confident of is if there was some kind of announcement by the United States that NATO was now uh, taking in Ukraine, I think at that point you might get the invasion because the Russians aren't going to permit that. They've made it clear they will not permit that, period. It's not negotiable. I think if the Americans were to be putting some kind of uh, missile bases in Ukraine, whether or not they asked them into NATO, I think those missile bases would be destroyed. The, the Russians can do that without invading. And I think once they did that, they would also destroy the bases in Romania and Poland. You see, these missile bases, the United States claims, and of course no one can believe it, that they're there to protect Europe from Iranian nuclear attack. Well, the Iranians don't have ICBMs <laughs> or nukes. No, that's right. So the Russians know they're lying. And so why are they lying? Because they intend to have nuclear missiles in those bases, which means uh, we have zero warning time. So I think uh, the Russians have more or less made it clear that what they expect is that these forward bases have to be abandoned, with pulled out of, dismantled, that they can't uh, tolerate them and that they're not going to tolerate them. What's the likelihood, Paul, of Washington retreating then? Let's not say NATO, let's be, let's be realistic about it. What, what are the odds that the Biden administration will say, okay, we'll, we'll take a backward step and we'll, we'll appease the Russian government and we'll defuse this crisis? Well, you have to remember uh, what President John F. Kennedy said uh, over 60 years ago, I don't control the CIA. Yeah. <laughs> and neither does Biden. And so it really depends on uh, what the CIA says. Now, if the CIA comes to the conclusion that, well, uh, we can't possibly face the Russian army in conventional terms, we, don't, we have no choice whatsoever, no chance, uh, and we're not ready uh, because they've got all these new kinds of hypersonic trajectory path-changing missiles we don't have when we're not ready to deal with that. So let's, uh, let's accommodate them temporarily until we can get better positioned. Uh, that could be one effect. The other effect might simply be, you know, uh, we don't really care about Ukraine. It's just a tool we use against Russia. 
And so uh, we don't care if they invade it or not. In fact, if they do invade it, it helps our propaganda because we've told everybody they're going to invade it. This will convince all of our European puppets and our British puppet and the American people that the Russians are a threat, just like we said, and we can use it to get a bigger military budget and more power. So they could simply uh, ignore the Russian warnings and uh, expect some sort of Russian reaction to Ukraine. They may provoke it just in order to prove that the Russians are a threat and we need to spend more money on defense. You see what I'm saying? It can play. It can play either way. If the Russians somehow back off, uh, then the Americans will just say, "Oh well, look, we can intimidate them after all," and they'll push harder. And so, at some point, the Russians will have to fight. There's no getting around that. You have to remember what happened to every president who tried to make peace with Russia. The Soviet Union, beginning. They killed Kennedy. They assassinated Nixon politically with Watergate. This was a CIA orchestrated thing. They got Nixon out. Why? He was opening to China. He was making arms control agreements with the Soviets. He was threatening the military security complexes, budget and power. What do they do to Trump? The same thing. Trump says, I'm going to normalize relations with Russia. This was threatening this, the military security con complexes, budget, and power. So what we had Russiagate, we had Impeachgate, we had the Trump insurrection. They've gotten rid of it. So it's very, very unlikely that an American president can make any kind of agreement uh, with the uh, Russians unless the CIA, for some reason of its own, accepts it. You see, Reagan got away with it. He was just too popular. We, we still don't know about that assassination attempt on Reagan. Nobody knows whether this was uh, uh, valid or was this another CIA effort. effort. No who, one who really tried Refresh my memory. Who who tried to shoot Reagan? Was it Hink? He, he succeeded. He shot him. It it wasn't yeah, Hinkley. But the but but the civil service, the Secret Service, managed to uh, to get in the way. Sort of. He didn't. He didn't get a fatal wound. He could have been. It could have been, but it wasn't. And um, it turned out that it was the son of good friends of George Herbert Walker Bush the former CIA director who was the vice president for Reagan. It was a son of, uh, of, uh, of uh, a couple that he was friendly with, and they ruled that the son was insane. And uh, so that was kind of the, the end of it. And uh, what, the, the story the, the boy gave didn't make a whole lot of sense. He was trying to impress some young movie star. That's right, Jodie uh, Foster, it was. Yeah, Jodie Foster, that's who she was. By John Hinckley, yeah. Well, no one ever knew. It didn't get looked at. Um, uh, people didn't know how to take it. They didn't know whether this was true or whether the CIA was giving a warning. or They just didn't know. They didn't want to find out. So for most of the last 60, 70 years then, 
your country has been in has, has basically been in the control of the Central Intelligence Agency and other satellite intelligence agencies doing things basically running rogue doing whatever they want to do often without the knowledge of the sitting president that's how it is it, it seems to be that seems to be the case you know Oliver Stone is now coming out with a new updated version of his movie it's very good yeah and I haven't seen the movie but it's I've been reading about it and I remember what that president Truman said. Now, you remember President Truman was uh, uh, the president at the close of World War II. Uh, he was replaced uh, by Dwight Eisenhower. Um, president uh, Truman wrote, after he's retired from office, he wrote a letter to the New York Times, I think it was, in which he said, you can look this up online. He said, uh, I made a serious mistake when I gave approval to the CIA. I should only have approved the intelligence gathering. I should not have approved the covert operations because it is outside our control. And we don't know what they're doing. So this was what Truman said. And he said, I made a serious mistake in approving the covert division of the CIA. Of course, it didn't do any good. Uh, nobody repealed it. But you have to remember that Eisenhower himself in 1961 said that the, he called it the military industrial complex, uh, had gained a lot of power and there was a threat to democracy. That's right. And then Kennedy came in. And Kennedy came in, and then we found out what a threat it was. <laughs> Stone's new film is is brilliant. You can watch it in, a, it's a two-hour thing, or there are four parts to it. You can watch on, on HBO, if you get HBO. It's very, very good, and it does, as Paul said, specifically deal with the role of the Central Intelligence Agency uh, before Kennedy came to power, during his time in power, and after it. And it is absolutely fascinating. Paul Craig Roberts is our guest. PaulCraigRoberts.org, folks, you're listening to The Economist. Uh, Paul Craig Roberts and author. And of course, Paul is a former US Assistant Secretary of the Treasury. It's great to have Paul on. Just before we move on to COVID, Paul, the, there's been a couple of comments today, I don't know, maybe a bit more positive. Um, the, the, the Polish Foreign Minister and, and others in the region have said that they they don't believe um, war is imminent. They think it might be worse now than at any time in the last 30 years, but they don't think it's imminent. Uh, Sergei Ryabkov, who is Russia's deputy foreign minister, he's absolutely insisted that the Russians have no plans or intentions to attack Ukraine. Now, I know I might be accused of naivety there because people might say, well, what would you expect him to say? But um, talks are apparently still going on between Putin, um, Ukrainian leaders and Washington. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. It, it would be absolutely disastrous, wouldn't it? If Russia were pushed, if it was pushed yes. so far that it felt it had to invade the country, not just to disable military hardware or bases, but if it felt it actually had to invade Ukraine, well, then we're in terrible, terrible trouble then. Well, Richie, I don't. I agree. There's nothing imminent about the conflict. Yeah, but I think 
the conflict is real unless the Americans back off. And so far, they have not given any indication that they're going to back off. In other words, they keep repeating over and over, uh, we'll put uh, Ukraine in NATO if we want to. We don't care what you think. You can't possibly block who gets to join NATO. Well, this is not what the Russians want to hear. And so if we continue what uh, Putin has described as a, you know, uh, rising level of uh, invasion of Ukraine by the U.S. In other words, we are the ones invading it, according to Putin, the way he sees it. If this continues and, and all of that, then I think the Russians will act because they simply are not going to tolerate having any more bases on their border. I don't think they're going to permit the bases in Romania and Poland to remain. Well, you made a very good point earlier. You said that there would be no early warning system if they had silos or equipment that's capable of launching ICBMs. If those were stationed in Ukraine, well, Russia could never tolerate that. Just as the United States couldn't tolerate the idea of Russia having missile bases in Cuba in the early 1960s. There's a little bit of an echo of history there. Paul Craig Roberts is our guest, folks. Do check him out at paulcraigroberts.org. He's a terrific author and writer, and I'm not just saying that. He really is. Check him out and support independent journalism. It's never been more important than now to do that. I don't know if you're a sports guy, Paul. You might be. I know it was a big weekend for football in, in the in the US. Friends of mine love it. They were watching it all day yesterday. But um, tennis is all over the news right now. Novak Djokovic, the best, well, one of the best tennis players in the world or of all time, has been booted out of Australia. And the reaction to this I find very interesting. You've got some journalists still, we've still got some in the Telegraph in the Times of London, in the even in the Washington Post, who say this is basically authoritarianism. We have a young, fit, healthy man. There's nothing wrong with him. Basically, basically being chucked out of a country and deprived of the opportunity to take part in the sport he plays and, and to cement his legacy because he wouldn't have a jab. And yet you've got others like that idiot Piers Morgan. You'll remember him. He filled in for Larry King for a while after Larry left uh, CNN. He's pretty rubbish, is, is Morgan. Acting in a very triumphalist way, mocking and laughing and jeering at, at uh, Djokovic. I'm concerned about it because it seems to me, Paul, that with Djokovic losing and being kicked out, they're basically creating the precedent for the future, I believe. And that is, you know, creating a future whereby if you don't take the medicine we demand you take, well, we can tell you where you can and can't go, how you can and can't make a living. And, well, that's tyranny, Paul, right? Well, it is, but it's, it's far advanced in Australia and in Austria and apparently in Germany. It's, it's very far advanced. Um, I mean, Australia will put you in a concentration camp. So, and, and Austria will uh, confine you to home, a home uh, arrest. Uh, so, yes, I think that uh, the whole thing in Australia was a demonstration of state power, that it doesn't have to be reasonable. It doesn't have to have any 
basis is just something that they can do by force. And that's what it shows. It shows that there's no such thing as a sports contest anymore. There's no such thing as a visa. There's no, there's no, <laughs> there's no such thing as reasonable behavior. It's just whatever uh, some official says. It doesn't have any basis in any law. It is, it's counter law. It's counter law. But it also has the effect of degrading the Australian Open. All of a sudden, the outcome no longer depends on having the best players. Yes. It depends on some petty little idiot in the government saying, oh, no, you're too good to play here. Uh, and you and we're using the excuse that you uh, didn't take the shot, so you can't play. So if you win, you haven't really won, have you? Because they've eliminated the defending champion. <laughs> and, and uh, of course, it makes the other players initially uh, feel like, oh, now i got a better chance. I never would have beat that guy. But it also eventually makes them realize, well, you know, I didn't really win it. Yeah. Because I wasn't up against the competition. So, I, you know, I think it just turns people off of sports. You ask about football. I don't watch it anymore. It's so politicized. It's just not you, – you don't enjoy it. I mean, who's the quarterback? Oh, the quarterback didn't take his shot, so he can't play. And yeah. It, it's just uh, sick. And all the all the taking of the knee is incredibly patronising, isn't it? I, I find it disgraceful that I'm supposed to applaud footballers taking a knee because they want to stamp out racism. Well, I'm not racist. You're not racist. No. I'm not. I'm not going to be lectured to by a bunch of prima donna multimillionaire soccer stars. You can piss off right there. And then, of course, if you say that, Paul, you're well, you're you're denounced as racist. You know, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. You're right, Richie. It's very strange. The players are almost entirely black. Yes. Yeah. So where, where's the racism? In football, <laughs> in American football, certainly. That's right. I, I, do you know? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know what's creeping in though? I, I like this. Lately, I've noticed some black players in in soccer that is at the top level refusing to kneel. And they've been asked. And of course, when a black player doesn't kneel, the journalists are very nervous. You see, if, if a white player doesn't kneel, it's easy to, to criticise them. But they've asked a couple of black players recently, why are you not? And to their credit, they've said, well, it's just a ridiculous gesture. It's a nonsensical gesture, really. It doesn't mean anything. So I, I'm not going to kneel. These are the times, these are, I wanted to ask you about something else before, it always flies by when you and I speak, we've got, with, with your permission, we've got 10 or 12 more minutes, love having you on, Paul Craig Roberts on the show today, Paul, tell me this, they're going after the UK Prime Minister, trying to get him out of a job, because when he imposed restrictions on people's movements, and particularly restrictions on how many people you could assemble with, uh, it turns out he was having parties in Downing Street and all of that. Now, look, yes, people have a right to be annoyed because they couldn't go and see their grandparents or their great-great-grandparents in care homes because they obeyed the rules. And now they realise that while they were obeying the rules, the government weren't. So, OK, I'll give you that. You're entitled to be a bit peeved. But can you help me out? You're a vastly more experienced man than I am. 
Why can they not make the leap, Paul? Rather than criticise Johnson for breaking his own rules, why can't they make the leap to the understanding that the rules were never necessary in the first place and that we're all being had? Why can't they figure it out, Paul? Yeah, that's, that's a wonderful question. I keep wondering about that myself. I suspect that the people have been largely fooled and think that the threat as described is true and that they need those rules. Uh, but they should also know that governments never obey the rules. The <laughs> rules are never for the government. They're always for the rules. And particularly rules that really don't have any legislative authority. So, for example, in the United States, uh, the courts have ruled that the mandates from Biden are are illegal. They're not. They they can only be done by the legislature. They can't be done by by executive uh, officers such as presidents and governors and school boards and so on. So. I think that's uh, the answer. But what my take on this, uh, Richie, is uh, if they want to remove him because he attended a party, but they didn't want to remove Blair, who lied, not just to the people, but to his own government, about Iraq, so that uh, the British could be cannon fodder for Washington and get and provide cover to make it look like it wasn't a Washington unilateral action to illegally invade, destroy a company, a country. So, you know, why that's something that to, to complain about, not that Johnson went to a party, but that Tony Blair lied to his own government in order to serve Washington. And millions died. I mean, that's, that's the issue. That's something really bad. And yet nothing happens at all to Blair, and he continues to get honors. And so I, so I think I saw they've now knighted him or something. And well, that's what people should be upset about. Let's see, we want to get this guy because he went to a party, but we don't want to get the guy that helped the Americans destroy a country, produce all kinds of refugees that are overrunning us. Uh, but no, we, we don't care about that. But he went to a party, we want to get him. That that's kind of a, that's what strikes me is so strange about it. There's so many real reasons to go after government figures, after prime ministers, presidents, whoever they are, chancellors. And so why do they have to come up with something that's so petty? Yeah, so petty. And I wanted to ask you on on this. What well, Blair is particularly disgusting, and and he's not gone anywhere, and he's playing a very big part in this push towards ultimately mandating vaccines in the UK. He's all in favour of it and he's rolled out pretty regularly on the broadcast media here to say as much. I was reading in in advance of you coming on, Paul, because I, I know you keep um, your finger on the pulse of what's happening on this side of the pond, but I was looking around over the weekend. Was there anything that caught my eye that I could mention to Paul? And you and I have spoken over the years about the rise of big tech and how that's fueling in increasing censorship and how bad it's getting. And you and I, I think, have bemoaned the power that Google has, you know, in terms of it, it, how, how much power it has in deciding what we read and what we see and what we don't see. And the, the Google censorship, particularly YouTube censorship, 
is getting it's getting absolutely out of it's it's gone crazy. I was reading over the weekend that a Fox News presenter, I think the gentleman's name is Borghino, I might have pronounced it wrong. He had a channel on, on, on YouTube and he had plenty of followers there. And he made a point during one of his presentations, totally backed up now by scientific papers. He said basically that masks don't prevent the spread of anything and they're pretty useless. Well, anyway, in came the heavy hand of YouTube, of Google, and destroyed this guy's channel. And he had it monetized. It was making up some of his wages. He had some deal with Fox News, I think. So they de- basically deleted the channel and demonetized it and called him out for misinformation, despite the fact he was citing, you know, recent studies that say the masks are, are useless. Pa- Paul, this is, we used to talk about Orwellianism. We used to talk about Orwell. I mean, basically Google now and one or two others, Twitter. I mean, Twitter were able to delete the President of the United States, weren't they, and Donald Trump. So these organisations are becoming Orwell's Ministry of Truth, aren't they? Oh, yeah, sure, they are. Uh, they, they enforce whatever the official narrative is, and they block whatever challenges it. Yeah. You, you know, what's so curious about this whole COVID thing is that, is that um, it's now been established, it's proven, it's not even debatable. The vaccine does not protect you. Uh, the booster does not protect you. The Omicron variant is immune to all the vaccines. It has no effect. And so when they say, oh, we've got to inoculate people because of Omicron, well, it's a known fact that it doesn't have any effect. Um, We know also now that the vaccine is far more dangerous than COVID. The vaccine attacks your own immune system and turns your own immune system into a weapon against your vital organs. The more vaccine you get into you, the more it weaponizes your body against you. This has all been completely, totally proven. There's a huge number of scientific uh, papers proving this. How does this deception go on? How does it continue? Only by suppressing all the evidence and telling lies. They claim, Paul... Sorry to interrupt you. They claim, I've got to say this, otherwise I wouldn't be doing my job. It's not that I'm disagreeing with you, but but they claim that if you've been double jabbed, that gives you 86% protection against Omicron. That's what they claim. But I've seen the same alternative opinions as you have from other scientists, the ones who are banned from the media, and they say that the jabs don't do anything against Omicron, whatever it is. But look, they claim if you get double jabbed, you'll, you've got an 86% chance of, of beating the Omicron variant. I, See, not, the, yeah. the Omicron is not even serious. It's, it's nowhere near as serious as ordinary seasonal flu. It's like a cold, isn't it? Yeah, so, so the knees, why do you need to be jabbed? Uh, I don't know who says it protects against 86, but they're lying through their teeth. There's all the evidence is that it has no effect. That's why all the people who are sick with Omicron are vaccinated people. They're all vaccinated. Well, many of them, definitely. Many of them, definitely. How does it protect you? You see, the hospitals everywhere, they're not full of unvaccinated people. They're full of vaccinated people. Is that the case in in? Your state, Paul, is that the case in the it's U.S.? It's the case in every place, including England. 
You see, again, I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but if you listen to the UK government, they're beating the drum every day, claiming that ICUs, when when a patient comes to an ICU uh, because they've got COVID severely, they are claiming here the majority have not had a jab. That's what they're claiming. No, but look, look, there's hardly anybody left that's not been vaccinated. True enough. All right. Look look at at Israel, for example. The whole place is vaccinated and they're all got Omicron. And they're rolling out a fourth jab there, aren't they, Paul? They're asking. Yeah. Boosters after boosters after boosters. So I just I think I just posted something where uh, somebody has actually looked at the English data and everybody who's sick is vaccinated. I think I just posted that. So, yeah, and and these things are now these these reports are coming out in the medical journals themselves. So there's no, in other words, I want to say this as clearly as I can: there is zero evidence for the pandemic, the COVID threat, and all the rest. I it's agree. Made up. I agree. It's all made up. They used all kinds of deception. They used the PCR test that produces 97% false positives that has now been removed from use by the World Health Organization, by the Centers for Disease Control, for that precise reason, that it produces false positives. So all of those cases were based on a fake test. Which the inventors don't exist. I want to tell you one other thing. Go ahead. Because I know we're out of time. The only people who died from COVID in the United States were people with comorbidities who were not treated for COVID. We have right now somebody dying in the Mayo Clinic because the doctors refused the family's demands he be treated with ivermectin. They said, ivermectin is not in our protocol. We are not going to use it. We're going to let him die. That's going on right now. Court case. It's on your website, that. The family can't even get the doctor to give him what is known as a cure. I mean, when you think of it, and when you think how cheap that particular tablet, that particular medicine, that pill is, you know, it's just a few cents, isn't it? And if yeah. it was given to the gentleman, you know, there, there's, there's a great chance. Because I've interviewed so many GPs, general practitioners, medical doctors on this programme, who've, um, well, they've been targeted by their governments and local authorities because they wanted to prescribe ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. It's just you see, mind-boggling. You see, the, what people have to understand, Fauci at NIH, he has a multi- billion dollar research budget he funds 300,000 medical researchers so they all say what he says because their livelihood depends on it the same with big pharma there's not a single medical program in any american university and i think anywhere in europe that doesn't get grants from the big pharmaceutical companies so they're never going to say something that endangers their grants. 
And it's the same in this country, isn't it? With the academic, yeah. with the control that the Gates Foundation has right. over academia. Right. Yeah. That's right. And you can see it too with 9-11. Every physicist in the United States, if not he himself or she herself, their physics department is dependent on federal grants. So they won't say a word about 9-11. There's not a physicist alive who believes those buildings fell for the reason in the official uh, account. They all know that is a hoax, but they can't say a word. It's the end of their career. No more money. No more dust. Or the department gets cut off, and then everybody hates them. Paul, I have a, a quick comment for you from Patricia. It's very interesting. Patricia is in Zurich. Good evening, Patricia. She says, regarding Novak, the tennis player, maybe it wasn't only about COVID. There are other players who haven't been jabbed who are allowed to play. She's right to say that. But she goes on to say, maybe it has to do with the Australian government wanting to mine lithium in Serbia and the fact that Novak was on the side of the people against that. Novak has apparently spoken out against the Aussie government mining lithium in Serbia. If that is true, and Patricia is a pretty a good sort, she knows her stuff, that's an interesting one, Paul, isn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't be in the least bit surprised. Go governments are extremely petty, extremely petty. And uh, I didn't know about this, but I have no reason to doubt what she said. It makes perfect sense. Very interesting. Thanks, as always, for your time today. I, I look forward to chatting regularly with you throughout 2022, 20 Paul. And uh, it's always a pleasure. PaulCraigRoberts.org for up-to-the-minute news analysis. The sort of analysis you will not hear or read on the BBC or Sky or anywhere else like that. Paul, always a pleasure, my friend. Look after yourself. Uh, until the next time. Until the next time. Cheers, Paul. God bless. Paul Craig Roberts, live on The Richie Allen Show. Please check him out at his website, paulcraigroberts.org. The time, dear listener, is only 10 minutes past the hour. Keep those comments coming in. It is richieallen.co.uk. Comment live at the top of the page. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Are you a company based in the northwest of England who want to improve their profile via social media? Yes! Well, you could go out in the car park and film something on your phone, but it's not very good, is it? No! Sounds terrible, yes! the picture's not that great. Yes! Try Ensign Films. We're a new video production company based in the heart of Manchester. We're really old, we've had loads of experience, and we can work within your budget. Don't go out in the car park with Debbie from Accounts. Seriously. Ensignfilms.co.uk the Richie Allen Show is the world's most popular independent news radio show. Listen on demand via your regular podcast provider. Do indeed, but go to Podomatic.com as a rule because some of the other podcast hosts are chopping up the programme to cut out the bits where we talk about jabs and stuff. Like I said a thousand times, it's not just about me. They're not coming after me specifically, but it's what they're doing, right? So, richieallen.podomatic.com, richieallen.podomatic.com. Scaramouche Stephen makes an excellent point on the website. He says, two vax and you are not considered vaxxed by the government. That's right, Stephen. And in fact, I 
I'm absolutely sure I heard this afternoon on Sky or the BBC News channel that your passport, like your COVID pass, won't be valid if you don't have the third jab. And that's going to be rubber stamped pretty soon. So that's a good point. Uh, Chainsaw Sue, how you doing, Sue? Dan Bongino, is that his name or is it Borgino? He's the one who was banned, but Sue says he's been expecting that for a few years now. Anyway, he's on Rumble, apparently. Yeah, look, I don't ordinarily have a lot of time for Fox News anchors. Most of them are just sensational big mouths full of hyperbole. That's what they do, right? But it doesn't matter what I think of them. Censorship is censorship, and it's absolutely outrageous. Wayne is banging the drum about the virus not existing again. Wayne, I'm reading out your comment just to be balanced. (laughs) Wayne doesn't think COVID ever existed. I don't know that Wayne is wrong, you see. I've got to be honest and say I don't know that he's wrong. But I don't share his view on that. But what do I know? Richard says, from what I can see here in Ireland, uh, the people I know that are fully taken in by the scam are running businesses or have great jobs. They are full of confidence and feel empowered. But the truth is they are dumb feckers. You do not need to be intelligent to run a business or hold a great job. You just need to act with confidence, says Richard. It's interesting, that. Interesting point there. And Seamus Connolly, good evening, Seamus. He says, a ball boy collapsed at the Australian Open. I didn't know that. Thank you for that. Good evening to Faisal, who says, with regards to Google censorship, so many political videos now need age verification to watch. Uh, concerning the passport, etc. Hmm, that's right. Yeah, you're right. I'm pretty sure I got a little ping. I hate people who use words like ping, but I'm sure I got a ping when I was on YouTube recently and I went to watch something on, either on Fox or CNN. I know they are poles apart, Fox and CNN. I'm well aware of that, but I watched them all anyway. Yeah, that's good, Faisal. Uh, Craig points out correctly, Muhammad Ali lost his title when he refused the Vietnam draft. That's right, he famously said. Although I'm not sure if there's any audio of it. Easily available. But he famously said, didn't he? No Viet Cong ever called me a nigger, he said. It was a fantastic statement. Incredibly profound, that. You know, I don't have, I, I, I've, I've nothing to fear from the Viet Cong. It's my own people. Uh, what has happened to Djokovic, says Craig, is a little different. It is, Craig, and a number of people pointed out to me that if Djokovic wanted the respect of even more people, he ought to have refused point blank to go to Australia from the get-go and said, I'm not going to play in a country that does what the Australian government has done and the regional governments to its own citizens. I'm not going to be harassed into getting a jab and forced to, 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 to get exemptions. Why should I have to give an exemption? He could have done that and refused to travel from the get-go. And maybe, you know, he, well, I certainly would have respected him a bit more. I've never been his biggest fan. I had, I'm, I, I'm a big sports fan. I do watch the big tennis tournaments, the Grand Slams, Flushing Meadows, of course, Melbourne, uh, Wimbledon, of course, and Roland Garros. I'll watch those. And I admire Djokovic. He's got incredible mental strength. He's, you know, he's on a different level when it comes to concentration and preparation. Think Peter Ebden. We mentioned Peter earlier on. All right, Djokovic has won everything 57 times over. 
Peter won the big tournaments, of course, uh, in, in snooker, the World Championship in the UK. But th- there's that similarity. So I admired that, but I've never found him the most... I've never warmed to him the way I liked people. I, you know, I was a big fan of Andre Agassi, for example, and people like that. So then again, I used to like Lendl, and people said he had no personality. But anyway, right, it's time for a tune. What I'm going to do now, I'm going to speak to Mike. Mike got in touch with the programme. He's an ambulance driver in the Northwest. He sent me an email. He was listening to Damien on the show last week. So we'll do that right now, okay? It's uh, 17 minutes past six, January 17th, 2022. The Richie Allen Show, live from Salford. From Salford. I like to think of it as Soulford. Got lots of soul in this city. Well, it started, a hard... Tom Petty will cut it short. Great song, Learning to Fly from Into the Great. Wide open, I'm pretty sure it is. Welcome back to the programme. Let me read you just a couple of lines from Mike's email. Got a, an email from Mike overnight. And um, I, I said this some weeks back and I meant it. Well, it's the least I can do. If you work in the NHS in patient-facing roles and you're facing losing your job in, in April and you want to come on and talk about that, but you want to get the message out there about how you feel about it, obviously this programme is open to you and will be. It doesn't matter how many people we hear from. You're welcome to come on. Drop me a message through the website, as Mike did. He says, Richie, look, I work frontline ambulance for the NHS pre-hospital emergency care in the Northwest, you know, servicing hospitals in the Northwest. He says, I've loads to tell you. I listened to Damien on the programme last week. Uh, I need to speak out. He says, I've worked through this all the way through it with inadequate PPE, that's personal protective equipment, and no jab. I have nothing to lose now, he says, as I face being sacked from the 1st of April. Mike, thanks so much for reaching out to the programme. How are you? Hi, Richard. I'm I'm a great buddy, and thanks for doing it. I, I really appreciate it. I feel dreadfully sorry for you, Mike, and, and others like you. I, I don't know no, what to... I appreciate s- that, yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I just want to try and be the voice of many that have not got the confidence to speak out, and we're going through uh, living hell at the minute. So thank you for everything you do. Uh, I want to thank you... Uh, for keeping my wife sane as well through all this. You've been an absolute rock to her. And without you, I think you'd be in a very different place. So before we start, just thank you so much. Uh, Mike, you're, you're very welcome. And look, just for just for the sake of um, everything being out in the open, Mike is not Mike's name. We're using a different name, as I did with uh, Damien last week. Uh, and that's perfectly proper and right, by the way. So um, we'll say hello to the missus later on, uh, Mike. I really appreciate that. But no, you heard Damien and it resonated with you and you wanted to uh, uh, to call in. First of all, can can you let me know, the deadline I think is in about three weeks, is it? Is it February 3rd that if people have not yeah. had a jab? Tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. We've been told that if we don't have our first booster by, the first vaccination, sorry, by the 3rd of February, uh, we'll fall short of the 12-week, the 12-week deadline in between getting our second uh, vaccination to be fit for service on the 1st of April. So we've gone from last year's hero to this year's zero, unfortunately. Last year's hero to this year's zero. And I asked Damien, I'm going to ask you the same questions I asked Damien, we're just going to have a chat anyway, but your, your team leaders, if that's how you refer to them, or your supervisors, are any of these people sympathetic 
Mike, to what you're going through? Are they concerned about, you know, your well-being and what you're facing up to? Uh, definitely not. Unfortunately, at this moment in time, we're getting uh, zero f- support from the upper management. Uh, I'm seeing uh, a lot of my friends and work colleagues uh, having breakdowns at work just to the sheer pressure of getting this vaccination or looking after your family. Uh, I see people uh, in floods of tears before they start a 12 or 15 hour shift and we're expected to uh, go out on the road, uh, do our jobs to the best of our ability. Uh, With having that in the back of your head, it's absolutely disgusting. Uh, The lack of support and like I say, it's unreal from the management. Give us an idea, Mike. You said that they're, they're bringing quite a bit of pressure to bear on people to have the job. Do you mind me asking, how how are they doing that? Is that verbal? Is it conversations? Uh, it's through both now. We're getting emails, we're getting letters in the post at home, and uh, we're getting uh, text messages uh, asking our vaccination status, why have you not been vaccinated? Our records are saying that you've not. And uh, like I say, yeah, we're getting letters, emails, telephone calls, even off managers that I've never even spoke to before asking me personal medical questions about my status. Is that right? Let's stay with the phone calls now. When when they phone you up and they say, right, Mike, um, we, we, we see here that you're not jabbed and they try and persuade you, how do you respond to them, Mike? How do you answer them? What do you say to them? Uh, I personally, I say uh, it's I've been uh, doing my own research. Uh, the benefits don't. Uh, the benefits and the consequences don't add up. Uh, I can show you uh, evidence of my research, and we can sit down and have a medical discussion uh, as medical professionals. And I then get told they're not interested in having that conversation. It's a it's a government narrative that they're driving, and it's out of their control. They're just not interested in what we want to discuss and what we see on a daily basis. That doesn't come into account, unfortunately. That's hardly a conversation then, is it? That's kind of like browbeating no. you into trying to have the job or to, to go and have the job. Well, basically, we have a have our job or we get sacked. Uh, basically, that's what we've been told. Uh, there is a possibility of some kind of redeployment, uh, but that redeployment isn't guaranteed and it could be on uh, lesser money. Uh, and that's our options to us, either basically get redeployed earn 50% less money than what we was earning originally, or get the vaccine, uh, which is absolute madness. Absolute madness. Up here in the northwest, so so you're listening to Mike, by the way. Mike, it's fair to describe Mike as a paramedic and an, am- an ambulance driver. And... Um, you might need Mike some night, you know, you never know. You might be out and about, you might get a, a prang in your car, you might take a fall. Yeah, I, I will talk about that in a few minutes because there, there is a very good friend of mine who works in security at one of the big universities in the Northwest. And he talked to me about ambulance drivers and paramedics. He, he, he's very fond of you, but also the pressures that you work under. We might talk about that in a few minutes. So, so Mike has just explained eloquently, if he doesn't get jab one by February 3rd, He's going to lose his job. He's, he won't be alone. There are many others like him. And that um, there, may, there might be some redeployment. 
but that would be on, on a lower salary, possibly. But he also talked about persuaders in in management phoning him and emailing him and, and others to try and persuade them to uh, to have the jabs. What do you understand, Mike, to be... How bad will things be if um, if this if, if the government sticks with this and if it sticks to this plan to get rid of all the patient-facing people who've not had a jab, as far as you understand it, what will that mean for care, for patient care? What will that mean for patients? How terribly bad will that be if they do get rid of all of those who won't have a jab? It's going to be uh, the worst possible outcome for patient safety and patient treatment. I'm involved in a group called NHS 100, and uh, just before Christmas, <coughs> excuse me, uh, there was uh, 200,000 unvaccinated staff within the NHS, whether that's uh, a bin man, a cleaner, a cardiologist, uh, an ethetist, uh, an A&E consultant, Every single law you can imagine, uh, there is approximately 200,000 of us that are unvaccinated. There's no way on this earth that the NHS can afford to get rid of 200,000 staff. A lot of people will succumb to the pressure, unfortunately, because we've got family and kids that we need to feed. We need to bring money home. We need to pay our bills. So a lot of people are unfortunately crippling under that pressure. Going back to uh, your question about the patient outcome, I can tell you first-hand experience of going into nursing homes post-September when they got rid of all the staff. Uh, we're seeing people in, hot, in beds in nursing homes with two or three staff looking after 50 people uh, who need every end-of-life care and they're just not getting that. And they're short-handed. Let's stay with that for a moment. Uh, You might be aware, as Mike has just said there, you might be aware that the jab is already mandated for care home workers, and it has been for several months now. And we know from reading the national press, from, from listening to national radio, we know that care homes were already down. They were already short of tens of thousands of staff before the mandate, now it's many, many, many more. And Mike, you're saying that since that, you go in there to look after somebody with your crew of paramedics and you can see the result of the mandate right there in the care homes. It's really bad. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there is no staff. There's, uh, the amount of missing staff in these care homes is disgusting beyond belief. And when all this madness first started off, um, we, I believed in the media and our NHS bosses were telling us that this is going to be some kind of terrible killing disease. And maybe for the first two months, I, we was, I was leaving home for shift. Uh, my wife was in floods of tears. Am I going to be coming back home? Am I, if I do come home, am I bringing this deadly disease home? And even me putting my uniform on and going to work, I had to put my big boy pants on and my priority as a medical person is to help people. Uh, so I had to do what I had to do, go to work and do the right thing. Uh, absolute madness. But yeah, you must have been stressed. I mean, thinking that there is a potentially deadly disease, an airborne disease, you must have been terribly stressed doing that, Mike. I would have been terribly stressed. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, just because we was walking into the unknown. Uh, so we'd walk into someone's home 
not knowing uh, if everyone was contagious, if if my numbers are up, I'm, am I going to contract this horrible disease off these people? We didn't even have good PPE at the start. Our PPE was absolutely rubbish. We weren't. There was no discussion of a vaccine. We were totally unprotected. Walking into the unknown is the best way I can describe it, really. And tell me this, Mike. When at what point did you begin to think to yourself and your colleagues? I'm sure you were talking to one another all the time. When did you begin to think? Well, wow, this maybe isn't as bad as we were being told. Maybe two months, three months into the start of it, uh, we was expecting to be moving dead bodies all the time. Uh, There were were no bodies for us to move. Uh, People weren't dropping dead in the street. People's body parts weren't hanging off. Uh, People were with no oxygen levels. Uh, I didn't see any of that, unfortunately. And that's when I started... To wake up a little. I think. I think you meant. I think you meant. I think you meant. Fortunately, I think that's what you meant. You well, didn't. Yeah, you didn't yeah, see any of the dead bodies. But that's what you meant. Yeah, yeah. No, I know exactly what you meant. And that must have been a weird feeling for you and and your team to think, "Wow, this." You know, because I remember Mike speaking to a nurse who is based at Salford Royal Hospital, and he or she, I've got to say that, said to me, yeah, yeah. "They were very like you." very like you from the beginning, were on full alert and thought, wow. And he or she said to me regularly, Richie, I I thought it was going to be like that Dustin Hoffman film Outbreak. I really thought that we were in serious trouble here with this thing. And that person said to me, like you, a couple of months later, it was like, wow, there's not much going on really. And that must have, and and, and what, when when you start to realise that, I mean that, that's that's such a weird feeling that like what 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 where do you go from there then I mean what what happened after well, that where you, yeah. did you become suspicious this about it thing. Yeah this is the thing when I said fortunately or unfortunately I started to open my eyes to what was going on and started to do my own research as a medic I'm interested in medicine I love medicine I'm all for any kind of medicine that works And I just wanted to do uh, a little bit of reading for myself, look at the facts and figures, try and understand what was going on, then I could give a better outcome to my patients. If I had a little bit more education and a bit more knowledge, that would make me better at my job. So I I was arming myself with the tools to go out and speak to people. But unfortunately, uh, we were told by NHS bosses uh, not to talk and to keep our opinions to ourselves and just go out, do our job, do the protocols and do what we had to do. And that's when, that was a massive light bulb moment for me. And I'm like, oh my God, what the hell is going on here? So so from their point of view, it was do not under any circumstances use your skills and your critical thinking. Don't do that. Just do what we tell you to do. Exactly. And that's the unfortunate thing. And uh, we are all uh, university. A lot of us are university educated. Uh, we've got a wealth of experience. So I was thinking maybe I could speak to my colleagues. We could start a discussion group. People didn't want to even entertain the fact that there might be an ulterior motive as to what's going on. I'd show evidence to them and I'd just get called a weirdo and a freak. Uh, to the point where my family 
now won't even talk to me. Uh, they think I'm absolute nuts. But you're the guy with the training. Your family think you're nuts, but you're the you're the medic. This is yeah, uh, wow. Yeah, but they don't. Nobody wants to listen. Uh, this is uh, the unfortunate thing. Uh, like I said, my family don't talk to me anymore. Uh, we've lost uh, what we called close friends uh, that are just not interested. They believe the narrative. Uh, and you get to a point where you're thinking, is it me that's got a problem here? Everyone else is getting lining up, lifting the shirt up for a medication that they don't understand. Have I, is it me? Am I missing something? And then you start to doubt yourself a little bit. And that sends you into not a very good place sometimes and then you've got to go to work and still do your job so you've got to go to work and still do your job and you are feeling that something is very wrong with this and that there's there's a scam or or, or something like that going on that can't be easy I'm being bombarded with questions for you and comments. I said to you today, look, I don't do the barking questions at people, and I don't do that, so I'm not no. going to be just throwing questions. But on the website, there's a lot of love being expressed for you and your colleagues really, for speaking really, out, which, which, is, yeah. which is lovely. But there's also a couple of interesting questions, including one I was going to ask you anyway. Now, it's a loaded question, but I can't think of any other way to ask it, Mike. And that is, yeah. when... The the jabs came online Christmas or around about Christmas of 2020, I think, if I'm right in saying yeah. that, and then into very early 2021. This is a loaded question. I wouldn't normally ask this. Um, did you notice anything? Were you picking people I, up? I, we started, I started to notice uh, a lot of uh, what we call ADRs, uh, which is an adverse uh, drug reaction. Uh, we were seeing uh, normally fit and healthy people uh, having cardiac chest pain, strokes, Bell's palsy. Uh, I even saw one thing, one job that I'll never forget is a young 15-year-old uh, girl. Uh, she was normally fit and healthy, no medical conditions, and she had her first vaccination. Two weeks later, she was struggling to breathe uh, she called an emergency ambulance. Uh, she got admitted into hospital. She was then diagnosed with acute asthma and exempt from having a second vaccine because it was a vaccine-induced injury. It's, we see it on a day. I go out to young people that are playing football and they say, I can't play football anymore. Uh, I feel like someone's sitting on my chest. These guys are like 14, 15-year-old. Uh, it's absolute madness. And then you start to look at myocarditis, pericarditis, everything that's associated with this vaccine. Give us an idea, and Mike. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Give us an idea. So you said you've yeah. seen you've seen some of these cases. What what sort of yeah. numbers are we talking in terms of the ones that you are aware of? Is it a few? Is it ten? Is it fifteen? Is it twenty? What what, what do you think? I'd I'd say on on average uh, on a tw on an average twelve hour shift maybe two to three ADRs per shift uh, of people that are normally fit and well. They've never had any problems previous. And then all of a sudden they're getting all these medical issues. In the Northwest now, and, and you or one of your teammates would ask that person if they had been jabbed? Uh, a lot of the patients are proud to tell us. They volunteer. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've, I've been vaccinated. I'm like good for you uh that's really good uh what 
do you want a badge? Uh, I know that's probably a little bit naughty, but that's my personal thought. Uh, we can go out and do cardiac arrest. Uh, for example, there's a gentleman on the floor. He's not breathing anymore. His wife will open the door as soon as we turn up uh, and she'll go into a blind panic because she's not got a mask on. I'm like, oh my God, your husband's on the floor, hold his hand, tell him that you love him. A mask isn't important. People are scared to death. It's just utter madness. Imagine that. Our concern is, yeah. should I have a mask on my face? Not, should I be, yeah. you yeah. know. And that's the wow. one thing that breaks Jesus. my heart. It's, it, it, yeah, I can't. There's no other word for it. It's just heartbreaking. And before this, Mike, would you, by the way, let me do a very quick recap. Mike is a medic, ambulance medic, and is experienced. I, I, I know who he is really because he sent me, you know, validating evidence today. And uh, he's facing losing his job like everybody else in front facing roles who haven't had a job. He's obviously not happy about that. And he's been speaking about his experiences of COVID, of March 2020, right up to today. And some of it is, I suppose, unsurprising to people who listen to this programme, but it's also very compelling because you've been there, you've seen it. And we've been talking about adverse drug reactions, which which sometimes are, are vaccine injuries. And Mike reckons that maybe three times a shift, his crew would, would go and see someone who is it's suspected that they've had an adverse drug reaction and he talked about youngsters playing sports and how that's becoming a bit common one person describing the feeling of someone sitting on their chest I didn't like what you said about the uh, this is not, not a criticism of you now but you said the girl who had the breathing problems and she was diagnosed with acute asthma that really peeves me uh, Mike because I'm, I'm somebody who has asthma and I know that the chances of her developing acute asthma in such a short space of time where she would be struggling to breathe with, with severe breathing difficulties, the odds of that are astronomical. You know, I, I, yeah. I would imagine if I was putting my last five pound note on the on the, 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 the reason for her having the problems, I would put the fiver on, on the jab. So this, I, I look, we're, we're taking you at your word as well. I've got to acknowledge there are listeners who are sceptical. We are taking Mike at his word. This is his experience as a, as a paramedic. I know this. I know I can't verify any of this, but, but that's just the way it is. That's, this is what it is. It's, it's, it's radio and this is what we do. Mike is who he says he is. And why would, yeah, he, like- why would he say that if, if he hadn't experienced it, you know? But the vast majority of people are, um, you know, very happy to hear from you. Caroline says, Richie, these NHS workers need to put in writing to their bosses that they will conditionally accept the job if the bosses can show them where in their contract they agreed to, to take a medical intervention. That's what she says. Mm-hmm. But it's not as simple we, as that, Mike, is it? It's not, unfortunately. We've already been down that route and uh, we just get told it's the government uh, that are driving this. It's not uh, the NHS as a business. Uh, and what what can we do? Uh, basically, that's what we get told. Uh, I've had all my previous vaccines when I started my job. Uh, I've had my hep C and everything else. Uh, totally happy with that. I'm not anti vaccine or anti-medication in any way shape or form but you just need to do a little bit of research on the government yellow card system uh, and that's just a massive red flag even cardiologists uh, in the Lancet and uh, the British Medical Journal 
uh, writing papers to say stop this madness and people just don't want to listen to us that are doing and seeing the job on a daily basis. The frustration shines out of you on that particular point that, that people are very quick to just shut down the conversation and not listen to somebody who has seen it up close and personal as yourself. Yeah, That's really thing, ticking yeah. you off that. Yeah, it's like the thing, uh, if I had a problem with my boiler at home, I wouldn't speak to a butcher uh, and listen to the butcher's opinion and not even take into account what a boiler engineer says to me and just say, oh no, the butcher's told me uh, I need to change this yeah, in my boiler. That's right. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's just madness. Yeah, doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Here's what I can't understand, Mike. If, I believe if, if the government was sincere and if it was decent, it would say, okay, what we'll do is we will ask people like you, people like Mike and people like Damien, we will ask you to take a couple of tests a week, but we won't force the jab on you. And that's, for me, that's where, for me, that's proof enough that something very sinister is going on. You know, yeah, just let me stop you there. Yeah, go I, ahead. Uh, test, I test myself on uh, a fortnightly basis and I have uh, antibodies. Uh, I have uh, NHS paperwork to say that I have uh, antibodies. I have a good innate immune system. I take regular vitamins to chop up my immune system. I am no threat to anyone, but come the 1st of April, I'll be classed as a risk to public health. A ticking, yeah, t- a ticking time bomb. We've got Christine yeah. in Limavady in, Nor- in Northern Ireland, as they say, Northern Ireland. She's listening with great interest. And she, she mentions the anesthesiologist who confronted Sajid Javid last week about the mandate and spoke very brilliantly to Sajid Javid. And it was incredible. It was, I, I, I used the word vaudeville. It was hilarious. Here you have a, a health secretary who used to work in banking. He knows nothing about health. And he's standing in front of an anesthesiologist, an experienced guy, you know, a, a qualified guy like yourself, Mike. And the guy gives a, you know, an excellent reason as to why he wouldn't think that he needs the jab. And all Javid could do was put his eyes down and move on to speak to somebody else. Did you see that? And did it give you any hope that, you know, that people are, maybe more people are starting to speak out maybe? Definitely, yeah. He's, uh, when I saw that interview, me a little bit of inspiration and respect. And I was like, good man. Yeah, finally, people are going to be start speaking out, telling the truth, and not going against the government, uh, but putting a conversation in place where they need to listen to us because we, like I say, we do it on a daily basis. Uh, You've got doctors uh, that are doing medical research papers all the time and they're saying, please stop this, it's causing more harm than good. But they just don't want to listen and I can't understand that. It goes against our code of ethics, do no harm, uh, best possible outcome for the patient and informed consent just none of that is happening. You know, and that's a stone cold fact. That isn't just your opinion. I know this without having the first clue about medicine. I know nothing about it. But I know they are not 
achieving informed consent from people because they're not telling people the facts about how the jobs were made. They're not telling them about the, you know, indemnifying the pharmaceutical companies. They're not telling people that even if you get the jab, you can still get the virus and pass it on. So we know for a fact they're not getting informed consent. I've got to ask you this. It's a stupid question, but I've got to ask you anyway. You're here as Mike today. It isn't your real name. Is there a real possibility, Mike, that, you know, the reason you obviously can't use your details is because there's a genuine concern that because you're talking about vaccine injuries and stuff, you feel that if you went public using your real name, you might there might be retaliation. They might come without after you and try and fire you. Without a shadow of a doubt, I have a couple of close colleagues that I get on really well with who are currently suspended from duty because they put on social media uh, the latest yellow card data sheets, uh, which shows uh, Mike Eden did a research paper saying there's a one in 200 chance of uh, an ADR. Yeah, and yeah. He, he looked at uh, VIAs and the yellow card system. His team have compiled all this data together and it's worked out that you've got a one in 200 chance uh, of becoming extremely unwell if you take this vaccine. And he's a really good friend of mine and he's currently suspended from duty. What about the union, Mike? The union are not interested in the... In the slightest, unfortunately, uh, they just say, I actually spoke to my union rep six weeks ago and he said, just get the vaccine. You're kidding and me. And I'm like, I said, you've not listened to anything I've said. I even put uh, a spreadsheet together of my evidence, the way that I'm feeling, the way that my colleagues are feeling. And he said, just get the vaccine. It's simple. I've had mine. You'll be all right. I'm like, Really? Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, and we see we see teaching unions basically coming after children. You have teaching unions acting on behalf of teachers and head teachers demanding that kids are wearing masks and, and stuff like that. The unions are have bought this hook, line and sinker, haven't they? Well, I, I think the uni, uh, the unions are well, they're compromised. working in conjunction with the government, I think. They must be yeah. because they're both driving the exact same things the unions are meant to be here for us, the workers. If we've got an issue, we should be able to approach our union, speak to the union, and, and they'll fight our corner. They're just not interested in the slightest. Mike is our guest. Mike's a paramedic, ambulance driver, tough job, a very tough job. We, we, I, I know living in Salford, I, I know over the years some of the things you've had to put up with you know, doing your job and, and, and people attacking people. I know all that sort of nonsense goes on. It's a bloody hard job and, and you see some very difficult things. I took a ride on an ambulance one night when I was working in radio in Ireland and uh, on, on a busy bank holiday weekend and it opened my eyes, Mike, to the sorts of things you have to deal with and also the tragedies that you have to, you know, to come across and that you have to help, you know, you have to, 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 to deal with. It can't be easy. It's a tough job. And um, and you're facing losing it, and that's a terrible thing. I'll take away tonight, though, what what you said about the adverse drug reactions that you began to see after the jabs were rolled out, and the terrible injustice of the fact that you're telling me this, which is all very well and good, but really, you and Damien and others, you need to be on BBC Radio Four, don't you? BBC Radio Five Live, but but they won't speak to you, and then if you do speak to yeah. them, you lose your job. I mean, it's yeah, me. 
Yeah, mainstream media won't even speak to us. I was approached a couple of weeks ago uh, from a local newspaper uh, to discuss my last 18 months uh, as a paramedic in Manchester. And I started uh, to speak and tell them how I feel. And they're just like, we're not interested in that. I want you to tell me what it was like when people came out of lockdown. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I just couldn't, they weren't interested in our point of view. Uh, they just wanted to drive some kind of agenda and send me questions not applicable to what I was discussing. Well, basically, the story was already written before they spoke to you, Mike, and they needed some quotes from you that fitted in with the story. That's how it goes. They weren't really looking for, they weren't genuinely looking for your experiences of the last 18 months. So you share a little bit of what you shared with us this evening and the person is just like, nah, not interested. Absolutely, yeah. Just not interested Jesus in the slightest. Uh, like uh, mainstream media, uh, management and our unions as well, they are just not interested at all. My mate Jackie Devoy has, has taken evidence to 20 or 30 newspapers that end-of-life drugs have been given to people who don't need them in some NHS trusts and they've just turned a blind eye as well. They've stopped picking up the phone. I feel this is far more sinister than, than most people realise. When you hear people throwing around terms like depopulation and stuff, Mike, is, is that taking it a bit far? I shouldn't maybe be putting you on the spot by asking you that, but what do you think is going on? What, you know, when, when, when the nights are darkest and, and you're sitting up thinking about it, What's really going on? What do you think, in your opinion? I, I really don't know what's going on. There is something going on, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. They're driving some kind of agenda for, is it depopulation? I'm not 100% sure. But is it, is it a genocide thing going on? Are there too many people walking on the planet? I, 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 I'm not qualified to give you that answer. Me neither. I have a personal thought process that yes there is something going on because the figures just don't add up from my point of view the medicine isn't working why is the medicine not working that they're the kind of questions that i ask myself uh like i say i'm not no professor or scientist anything like that i'm just i just trying to understand and get my head around it but you're a um, first responder you know and you've got medical training yeah. and 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 your opinion yeah. is is an educated one. I was going to ask you earlier on, my mate who works in security, he said that the NHS has been decimated through underfunding for so many years. Like we, we often mention on this programme, we've only less than half the beds now in the country, in the whole country, that we did in 1989. It's crazy. And I understand it's the same with ambulances. Is that right, Mike, that you or, or a crew... You might there might only be one or two ambulances servicing the entire Manchester. Does it does it get as bad as that some nights? Uh, it has done more now uh, than in the past because a lot of staff are off sick. Uh, they're off sick uh, with stress, with worry, uh, mental breakdowns. So because of that issue, we're stretched even further. Uh, but you can, and people need to get prioritised then on the triage system. And instead of us taking 15 minutes to get to you, uh, we could be taking an hour and a half. And that time is too late for some people yeah. with their condition, whatever's going on for that person. 
Uh, but there's only so much we can do. Of course, there is. Uh, it's, it's, it's in no way criticism, yeah. a criticism of you. There's only you've only got you know one pair of hands. You've only got one crew. A question I was going to ask, I didn't ask it. Isabel on the website asks, um, your team, the, the teams that are in the ambulance with you, are they themselves jabbed or are you all unjabbed? And if they are jabbed, how how do they get on with you? Are they supportive of you? Uh, they are not supportive in the they not supportive in the slightest. Uh, I get I can get cleared up with a different person, and right. they could sit in the cab. Uh, they'll put a mask on. Uh, they'll say, "Oh, I've just been for my booster." Uh, I'm like, "Good. Well, why are you sat there with a mask on? If your booster is so good, why are you, you don't need to, Why are you protecting yourself from me?" Uh, that's the thing I, I can't understand that and I tried to have a professional medical discussion and they're just not interested yeah and you're, you're, you're a typical northwest and, and this this I, I mean this I'm not in any way patronising or generalising I love where I live you're so typical you're laid back I can tell it by your, your voice you're an easy bloke to get on with you'd be a lovely bloke to work with I imagine uh, on any 12 hour stretch and yet the cognitive dissonance, you know, you get the the, the dirty eye or the, or, or the stare because, because you're not going along with it. Before we run out of time, is there anything our listeners can do? You know, you know I, I don't know what we can do as the public to support people like yourself. If there's 100,000 people like you or more, is there anything we can do, Mike? Uh, listen to us. Listen to what we're saying. Uh, be there for each other, love each other, uh, look after your friends and family regardless of status. It doesn't matter if you're vaccinated, unvaccinated, you've got six heads and 12 legs, it doesn't really matter. Uh, we've got to look after each other. That's all I can say, really. Yeah, uh, obviously, do a little bit of research yourself if you can. Uh, find out a bit of information because you're not going to get that informed consent of someone who just wants to stick a needle in your arm. They're not going to give you the full facts and figures. Obviously, keep listening to people like yourself and other people who are helping us get our point across and keep the faith, basically. Stay strong. Look after yourself and look after everyone around you to the best of your ability and just get on with life. Enjoy life. Life is very short. Things could happen tomorrow that are out of your control and it could all be over. Make the most of every single minute that you have on this planet and enjoy yourself. Thanks for having yeah. the, the courage to, to come on and speak out, knowing that, you know, it could be problematic. I, I really appreciate it. I, I It won't mean anything, me saying this, I hope that something stops this. I really do. I hope it does. And that you don't have to live with the stress of that, worrying about the rent, the mortgage, the family, the children, because you don't deserve it. You know, I, I have nothing but admiration for somebody like you out there in the nighttime. If something happened to me and I needed to call 999, you're going to be there. And the, the, the thoughts that this is going on and that you're having to put up with this, it, it's, it's, it's horrible, mate. And I do genuinely mean that. I'm not just saying it. We're in touch through email. If you need to come back on again, if we, we need to update us, um, we're always here. And for anybody else in your situation that wants to come on, we're always here, Mike. Just, uh, just thanks again, mate, and, and, and all the very best. Yeah.
Yeah, I just want to say, uh, like I said at the beginning of our conversation, thank you so much for everything you do. Uh, without you, I think my missus wouldn't be in a good place. Uh, so you promised that you'd say hello to her. So if you could, that would just be greatly appreciated. And 100%. Would be if, if you want to give me a first name, I'll, I'll do it now. Yeah, it's Dilly Bobs. Dilly Bobs. How are you? Our kid, you're in the hello. background there. Now, listen, I wish hello. you the hello to you. I, I hope it works out for you in the next um, few weeks. I really do. I'm genuinely sorry this is happening to you. And uh, oh, thanks so much, Richie. It's been an absolute nightmare these past few weeks. Um, I'm not going to start crying because I'm, I think I'm out of tears, but it's just been a horrendous, awful situation for my husband, who's a a medic of many, many years, and to be treated like this and to be treated like a rat, basically, is just disgusting. But I want to, I wanted just to speak to you, Richard, to say thank you so much for everything that you do. Um, I've been lost without you. I've been following you for the last two to three years now. Um, and just carry on what you're doing. I hope the online harms bill doesn't do anything to you and the independent media because we need you. We need you badly. Um, so thank you very much and thanks for taking the time to speak to me. Not at I all. really appreciate it. I'm delighted. I hope we speak. I hope we meet up. I, I'm sure you have a fair idea of where I am. I hope we meet up. We can have a drink. Let's make that happen. We're we're connected. I'd love to buy you Absolutely. a drink. And you know what? I, I, know you like, I know you like your Bacardi, I like don't you? I like I like the occasional Bacardi. You know, you have each other. <laughs> I, I think, listen to the two of you there, whatever happens, you're going to be okay because you have each other. Yeah, well, that's that, that's the main thing. We've been together for many, many years, myself and my husband, and we've got each other, and that's all that matters. Got each other's back. It's just amazing that you've, you've spoken with uh, Justin today. It's just fantastic. So thank you so much. Well, thanks, and carry Dilly, on the good work. Thanks, Dilly Bombs. Thanks, Mike. God bless both of you, and um, all the best in the coming weeks and months. Bye for now. No, yeah, thank you very much. Cheers, Cheers Mike. Bye. And to, uh, to Dilly Bombs there. And uh, they're not alone, really, in going through that, because... Um, Tens of thousands of people are going through it. That's it for the programme. Thanks to uh, to Mike. Thanks to uh, uh, Paul Craig Roberts as well. well. We'll do it again tomorrow at five o'clock. Until then, look after yourselves and one another. Going to close out with um, John Denver. It's a live version, but hey, what are you going to do? Speak later. Oh,